So good morning. So Preben is not here today. He is out. And so I am starting a one-part series of one today. (laughs) This is the first of one. And the last of... Anyways. So, Preben's out. I'm here. And next week, Preben is going to begin a series called Being Invited to God's Party. That is not what I'm talking about today. But that's what he gets to talk about. He's going to talk about a party. I should have taken that from him. Doggone it. So today I want to talk about following me. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew 4, chapter chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we're going to look at what it means to follow him. I'm sorry. Hold on a second. Someone's calling Oh, it's from Preben. He says, tell everybody hi. (laughs) Hi. That's what it says. That's awesome. So, he is with us in spirit today. If you'll turn to Matthew 4, 18 through 22. Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers... Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in a boat with their father, mending their nets. He called to them. Immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. Two radical words that had radical implications for their lives. He called them away from everything they'd ever known, their futures, their careers, safety, and they walked into the unknown to follow him. I mean, if you think about it, they left their livelihood. I mean, they were fishermen. That's what they knew. They left their possessions, what they had. James and John left their father in the boat by himself and followed. So if we're going to look at what it costs to abandon all our things and Jesus asked them to do that, this is a discipleship and a call to discipleship that's different than going to church once or twice a week. This is different than coming to worship and being excited about the word God's brought or the music you get to sing This is different than going to Sunday school and sitting through a lesson, or as we call it, Sunday morning Bible study, which is a lot of words just to say Sunday school, but it's the same thing. It's more than that. If we're not careful, we take a worship service, a Bible study, and and think of that as discipleship. We can go to other places. If we're not careful, we can think salvation's about us. I mean, I was told that. That Jesus Christ loved me so much that he died on the cross for me. I mean, have you heard that? I've heard that. And while that sounds good, according to scripture, God's justice required a sacrifice. Because I am not worthy to be in the presence of God. And God's sacrifice required that perfect sacrifice, which was of himself. Not only so that I could be... Able to have eternal life, but because God 
wanted it for himself. So in other words, Christ died for us because God's justice demanded a sacrifice. So he demanded a sacrifice. He died for us on his behalf for his own glory. You follow me? It's not about me. It's about God. And it's about what we do in that ultimate goal, which is not salvation. Salvation is the starting point. The goal is to do life with God, to desire to be his disciple, to follow him and go make disciples. It's that process that takes us from infancy to spiritual maturity and then replicate that in someone else's life. To be a disciple making disciple. Whether we're at home or at work, we're at church, we're in our community. Discipling others is what we should be. But to disciple others, that means we have to actually be discipled ourselves. The problem is in America, it's kind of changed. If we're not careful, we reduce it down to this idea of philosophy. Are you willing to leave it all behind? Hypothetically, he means follow me to this point. It brings us to a place where we want to follow Jesus as long as it doesn't require too much, if anything at all. Jesus is not requiring all of us to leave our family. He doesn't require us to leave it all behind necessarily in mass. He does require absolute commitment to him. People in other parts of the world, they've done it. They follow him at risk of persecution, being ostracized from society, being physically beaten, even death. They have chosen to follow him. And if we're not careful in America, we may get looked at as the bad guy on a made-for-TV movie. So if we look at Luke 9, Jesus shows us another side of discipleship. And it's kind of one of those that has always been hard for me to read and go through. And it says this, as they were going on the road, someone said to him, that's Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the sky have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, follow me. But that response was, Lord, permit me to go first and bury my father. And he said to him, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But for as for you, go proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. These three people have an encounter with Jesus. Each are eager to follow him, yet... Jesus doesn't read the sinner's prayer to them. He doesn't walk them through the Romans road. What does he do? He does exactly what we've always been kind of taught to do. He totally warns them of what's to come. First one he tells in verse 58, this is a difficult life. This is not an easy time. I don't even have a place to call home and neither will you. You're going to be homeless. That's not a good selling point. Second, Gentleman comes and says, I want to, I need to bury my father. And Jesus says something that sounds really harsh. Let the dead bury the dead. But what we're talking about here is dad was dead. That man would not have been there. If dad has passed away, they are going to bury him that day. So he would be preparing that moment 
to happen. What I think is being said here is this. I need to go prepare my family and prepare the inheritance for myself and my family. Not saying he's being selfish or noble. I mean, this could be very noble trying to take care of mom and the family. But I need to take care of some stuff at home first. And what Jesus says sounds harsh, but it's like, look, I'm calling you to kingdom service. I'm calling you to follow me. That means you, you drop it and go. And the last one, for those of us who are farmers, it makes total sense. For those who aren't, it doesn't make sense. Until your grandfather puts you on a plow with a mule and makes you look backwards as you plow, and then it, you understand. That's another story for another time. Anyways, moving on. So, so what you've got is... He's wanting to say goodbye to his family. And this isn't a, you know, I want to go home and hug everybody. And then, mom, I'm not going to be home for dinner. This is, he wants to go spend time with his family. This is delayed obedience. And for those who have never plowed with a mule before, number one, it's not fun. It's not cool. And if you look backwards, it's kind of like when you turn, a, turn your car, you look back to turn. What do you do? Man, I was all over the place. You know what that man made me do? Made me get the tractor out and mow it all over, level it all back out. And I had to do it again. He was a cruel man. <laughs> but I learned a hard lesson. Because we, we plowed it like you're supposed to, looking ahead, but looking backwards, you could, I don't care how hard you do it. You can't plow a straight line. And what Jesus is saying is, is that you're calling to follow me. You've got to look forward and move on. If you look backwards, what's going to happen? You're going to lose your path. You're going to lose where you're supposed to be going and how you're supposed to be doing it. That makes total sense. If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to have my eyes on him, not back where I've come from. Because if that happens, then I'm just going to be off course from the word go. I mean, there's not a chance to even start correctly. So when Jesus is telling these three to do this, it comes down to this. The last two are really talking about delayed obedience. And delayed obedience is still said. So is there anything that you need to stop doing that you're doing? Is there something that you need to start doing? That's something God has put on your heart? You know, Jesus never sugarcoated his words and he never played down his purpose to be popular. He never glossed over the hard truths to increase his influence. He told us the truth every chance he had. You know, Luke 14, 25 to 27 gives us a good point. Now large crowds were going along with him and turned to see him, turned to see them. And he said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So another one, I'm telling you, I have a hard time with the word of God. I'm a simple person. And he just told me that if I don't hate my family, I can't follow him. But that's not what he's really saying. That's not what is actually being said. Even though those are the words that are there, what he's saying is this. God does want us to be loved. He does want us to love our families. But he's speaking comparatively. He's saying that he's not an add-on to our life. It's not gospel plus something else. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. And my love for Jesus Christ should be so deep, so great, so all in, that while I would lay my life down for my wife and my children, it pales in comparison with what I would do for my Jesus. That's what it's saying. 
And now that my wife's heard that publicly, if anybody has a bed to sleep on tonight, I would appreciate it. Love you, dear. But that's what it's talking about. It's not saying I truly hate Jenna or hate my two girls. What it's saying is that my love for God is so intense that there's nothing that can touch it in comparison. And then you take on this idea of of this no add-on thing. We can be really terrible about that if we're not careful. Because you can go in multiple directions. If it's the gospel, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Plus something that is, oh, well, we got to be good. Good works. Well, what a good work get us? Nothing. I mean, a good reputation maybe, but nothing. They don't give you interest in heaven. Jesus Christ alone gets you into heaven. Well, it's gospel plus this. No, it's not gospel plus anything. And if we're not too careful, we take it to both extremes to where, oh, it's all about works. Or it's, hey... If you believe God's going to bless you, give me, you know, give me your money and I'll, I'll make sure God blesses you tenfold. I mean, we can go so far in either direction that it's wrong. And scripture is abundantly clear. It's gospel only. So then verse 27 comes out. And by verse 27, we all read it today and it may not strike a chord with you. But listen to it again. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We are not talking about clothing, a bumper sticker, a piece of jewelry. We're talking about a cross. And if we were in first century church and we saw someone with a cross in the street, what are we thinking? He's dead. He is being punished. He's being executed. His life is done. It's over for him. And Christ is telling us that we need to pick up our own cross. In that first century, that would have been jaw-dropping. To sit there and say, pick up your cross and follow me. Not because he's predicting his own death, but he's telling them it's going to cost you. So what does the cross today look like for us? Where I think I'm at in my personal walk is this, that I have to pick up my cross means I have to completely surrender all of my will to Jesus. I have to die to my wants my desires and my beliefs apart from what Jesus teaches. And I base it on this. So if, if I'm willing to do it, which it's a struggle, are you willing to, to submit all your beliefs to him? I ask this because I deal with, with this on a daily basis in some cases. And, and I had to deal with it, unfortunately, with some, some people this week and had to have some conversations that God was working in their lives and God was making some moves. And, and, it, and it comes down to this. People tell us that, oh, I believe God. I believe everything about God. I'm a, I'm a Christian. That. And then as soon as we start talking about some hard things, some biblical truth, I get this response. Oh, I don't believe with that or agree with that. Well, that works for you, but that doesn't work for me. Well, that may be your truth, but that's not my truth. We live in a society where we each individually want to be heard. We live in a society where we each want to have our own truth be out there in front of us, guiding our path and way. The problem with that is this. If I call myself a follower of Jesus Christ and his word is the absolute truth that he has given us to reveal himself to us. And my truth doesn't line up with the Bible, doesn't line up with what Jesus Christ teaches. It's not Jesus Christ or the Bible that needs to change. It's me. I'm the one that's wrong. 
I'm the one that truth is inaccurate. I had a seminary professor tell me my first day of class, 20% of my, my Christian beliefs are heresy. It was Hebrew language class, so I was confused for a minute while we were talking theology, but okay, 20% of what I believe is heresy. Which means 20% of what you believe is probably heresy. Shame on y'all. Shame on me. But the beauty of that is, is no, we don't have it all figured out. And that's the beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ is he's going to allow us the life and the season to figure things out with him. And when he reveals untruth in our life, we lay that aside. The challenge since then, being a young man and hearing that, has been when I discover there's things in my life that just are not biblically accurate, and I lay that aside, okay, that's done. That's not truth. It doesn't mean I'm down to 19% heresy. What it's done is revealed that, man, I'm more jacked up than I realized. Because that that's not true, then these five things over here can't be totally true either. So there's only one thing I can do with that is I come right back here and I open God's word and I start digging in again. See, here's the beautiful thing about this whole thing. You cannot get into heaven. You are not worthy. I am not worthy. Thank God. And thank God that he's an unfair God because what did he do? He sent Jesus Christ to sacrifice himself to be justified in our lives so that we can be a child of God by submitting ourselves to him. Man, I'm glad I don't have to compare myself to you people. I would fail half of you and the other half I look really good. So it's a total skewed bell curve. But when I put myself up to Jesus Christ, I fail every single time. Amen. I mean, you know, that is awesome. Because then my hope is in the one that can can make me, the one who can save me, the one who can guide and direct me. I'm all in. I'm all in. Because when I don't have it, he does. So, if we're going to submit all ourselves to him and all our things to him, and if we're going to realize that at times the word of God is going to offend us or confuse us or confound us, and that we have to accept that it's our change that needs to happen, not the word of God, then we must believe what he says because he says it, whether we disagree with him or angered by him or confused by him. Here's the question. If Jesus is my Lord and Savior, am I going to be the disciple he has called me to be? Am I going to get out of the boat and follow him even if it costs me things I don't want to let go of, things I don't want to give up? I look around this room and I've done life with you guys for many years. You've done life with me. You've been gracious and kind. You've allowed me to make some stupid mistakes and allowed me to sin and forgiven me for it and allowed me to move forward. Just like we've done, I've done with you. We've done life together. Because God has created that to be the church. This is not church. This is a building. This is church. And when we do life together as the church, which Christ commanded us to do, then things are going to happen. Good things and not so good things. 
So a couple of things as I close. Number one, pray for your church. You got some lay leaders that are hurting right now. You got some lay leaders who are struggling. This weekend I had to meet with some and they're stepping down from leadership for a season because they need to spend time just them and Jesus. What a great testimony of faith that is. That's not a failure. That is taking a moment in their life where they are not being what God has called them to be. And what are they doing? They're stepping aside so they can become who God's calling them to be. That should be something that we should praise God for. We've got people that are wiped out and tired. You guys have been very gracious. And many times you come to me and and several of you have been checking on me. Wayne personally is how you doing. I'm fine. Because God's got this. I, I, I could not do this by myself. This is all God. But more importantly, as you saw, there's a lot of staff involved. They're stretched thin. There's lay people here that are stretched thin. You have staff members who have retired or stepped down from leadership in this church who are still actively serving here. They're stretched thin. Thank God for y'all. Because without you, the church wouldn't exist. So we're at a place today where I really want us to pray about a couple of things. Pray for your church. Pray for your church leaders. Pray for your pastor search. And whoever that person that's coming, pray for that person. He's going to have his hand full. Because your staff is a good team to work together. I have never met a, a team that is more loving, kind, gracious, stubborn, bullheaded, and obnoxious in my life. And I thank God for each and every one of them. But here's where we're at today. We have steps and a front that we call an altar. And so the last part, I want to just give you a little education real quick of what this is for. We're going to move into a time of invitation. And there's some things I want you to to do today. There are those in this room who may have heard today that Jesus Christ is the only way. That to become a Christ follower, you have to submit to Jesus. You have to be saved. If you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior... We have people down front in a minute that are going to be more than happy to walk you through that. Wayne, I'm a believer. I've been attending this church for a long time, but I'm not a member. Then join your church family. We're the bride of Christ. Be a part of it all in. Come forward. Talk to a staff member. They would love to have you join this church. Maybe you're a member of this church. You're a Christian. Maybe you've not been... Wayne, I've not been completely sold out. I've not been following him completely. There are steps you can pray on. Again, there's people down front that will pray with you. You don't have to stay in your seat. Take that step of faith to carry the burden together. We're not supposed to do this alone. And finally, it may be, Wayne, my life is great. My prayer life is amazing. Billy Graham takes notes for me in my humble opinion. And that's awesome. I mean, there's some of you in this room that I would not question that. But maybe I just want to come on the altar and pray for my church. It's time for us to stop sitting in our pews and re-engage as the church. 
So in this altar call, as they're coming up here, wherever they're at, coming, okay, so they're coming. I want you to spend a few minutes. We're not going to take long. But if you need to come forward and, and talk with someone, we're here. If you need to come forward and just spend a few minutes talking to God, calm down. There's something powerful about a church when it steps out in faith and gets out of the pew. And guys, we're ready for that. You're ready for that. God has been molding us and shaping us in this season to be the church he's calling us to be. Yeah, the pastor will get here. We'll catch him up. We'll make sure he's good enough. We'll get it. But now is our time to make sure we're ready for the next step that God's going to bring us in our life. Father, as we come to the altar here for a few minutes in, in worship and in invitation, we pray that those who you're dealing with us in the room will come forward. That they'll spend just a moment praying, spend a moment taking time with you, taking time with our staff and our lay leadership. Maybe they're going to interact in a way with you they never have before. Father, I pray for those who want to completely sell out and follow you with everything they are. Those who want to find you for the first time and those who want to find a place to call home. We're here and we're waiting. We thank you and love you, Father. Amen.